Welcome to Dr. Warwick's podcast channel. Warwick is a practicing cardiologist and author with a passion for improving care by helping patients understand their heart health through education. Warwick believes educated patients get the best health care. Discover and understand the latest approaches and technology in heart care and how this might apply to you or someone you love. Hi, my name is Dr. Warwick Bishop and welcome to my podcast and videocast station. I'm delighted to have the opportunity for a part two with Dr. Michael Zima, a colleague, a cardiologist, an author, and we're talking about his book, Modern Healthcare Delivery, Deliverance or Debacle. Welcome, Michael, from the other side of the world. Thank you for having me again, Warwick. Look, by way of a brief recap, in part one, if you missed it, um, Michael shared some of his background. He's been a cardiovascular physician for 40 odd years with academic positions, with administrative positions, and really through the eyes of experience and a realization of a change in the landscape of delivery of care has started to realize some of the, some of the fundamental issues of healthcare delivery that are just falling by the wayside. Do you want to just touch on that momentarily? Because they're really the concepts that drive you to write your book, write your book Mike. Yes, Warwick, thank you. Um, yes, the deterioration of the uh, doctor-patient relationship with the emphasis upon the limited amount of time that providers now have uh, to spend with their patient, the, uh, the, the rise of physician extenders, uh, which play a necessary role in healthcare delivery, at least in our country, uh, as uh, the number of insured rises rapidly, uh, both with the Affordable Care Act and even before that, uh, medical uh, school enrollment uh, going up you know, one half of 1% per year, not at all keeping up, uh, keeping pace with the needs of the community. And so we see a 5% per annum increase in both nurse practitioners and physicians assistants to try to fill that, that gap. Many patients out there are just unfamiliar with who these people really are. Uh, they come in and they go to the office expecting to see uh, Dr. Bewell. Dr. Bewell is not there. Uh, and in, in walks uh, a young lady uh, with a million initials after her name, DNP, BS, da, 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 you know, and who is this young woman? What is, what are her qualifications? How did we get to this point? Uh, this is all discussed in the book to try to update people so they can navigate in, in areas of medicine, in, in silos that they're not normally permitted to enter as the patient. See, each of us in healthcare is in our own little silo. I, as a cardiologist, am in a silo, but my administrator's in a silo, my nurse is in her silo, my echo technologist is in his silo, and do we really all have a picture of how these silos need to interconnect and connect with the patient to render appropriate healthcare? This is why the book was written, to allow providers of all different types and the lay public 
to navigate in the healthcare system outside of their silo so that they can get a better perspective of the overall healthcare delivery. Some of, the, some of this that you're touching on is really a deconstruction of delivery of care for the sake of uh, cost efficiencies. And there's really, there's, there's always that tension between time and money. There's always that tension. And, and really, I guess, would you see that as probably the overarching difficulty in trying to get that balance right? Yes. And again, I discussed some of these things in the book. Uh, you know, the, the fee-for-service model, which is the predominant model in this country. And, uh, you know, it's the, you eat what you kill, quote unquote, and pardon, the patient should pardon me from that. We certainly don't mean kill in the literal sense. But, you know, the more you see and do, the better you get paid. We discussed some of the, the drawbacks of a system like that. But ultimately, yes, many, many clinicians uh, have come out and said, you know what, uh, this needs to stop. We need to have a better solution. Down south where I am work, you know, if the average visit in this country is 12 minutes for, between provider and patient, I got news for you. Down south here, these people are just so friendly. You know, in 12 minutes, they probably aren't even done telling me about their grandbabies, let alone what's ailing them, okay? So, you know... <laughs> It's a, it just does not work. And uh, I don't, I propose some answers in the last chapter of the book, but ultimately it involves a change in behavior on the part of the provider. Because when you think about costs, the provider is the ultimate gatekeeper. Without the provider, there are no services. Without the services, there are no costs. Well, without the services, there are no outcomes, no patient treatment, no patients getting better. So we are the gatekeeper, the providers. And the question is, how do you change behavior of providers in a way that satisfies the provider and yet contains the costs? And that's what I spend the, the entire last chapter of the book trying to discuss waste in medicine, trying to discuss the problems with the practice of defensive medicine and how that relates to waste, discussing the fee-for-service model, which is not the model perhaps used where, where you are, uh, certainly not in many parts of, of, the, of the world. Uh, and, and obviously also the, the costs associated uh, with the administration of healthcare. In our country, 28 cents on a dollar goes to administrative costs, never, never goes into patient care. How can we streamline those particular costs so that we can get more into patient care and perhaps through that venue, increase the amount of time the provider can spend with each patient encounter? You know, I mean, that's a, You've touched on so many points there, but one that sticks out to me immediately is this 12 minutes to um, provide a consultation. And we were chatting about this offline because obviously we've got some similar views in this space, but within 12 minutes, you can barely connect with a patient. You barely have the chance to really get a sense or a feel for where they're coming from, because you and I both know that as someone walks into your office, 
how do you feel? We say, they say we feel fine, but of course they're not fine. Otherwise they wouldn't be in your office. It takes a while to really speak, connect and start to feel where that person's coming from. And 12 minutes is really suboptimal. You can't, you couldn't even do a proper examination in that time. I remember you know, practicing uh, back in New York. I certainly never gave a 12 minute consultation. I was probably the most inefficient provider uh, in, <laughs> in the network at that time. And I remember even doing a 40 or 45 minute evaluation and thought I had everything down pat on this patient. I was all set. And you know, this has happened to you too. And as they're walking out the door, they say, they turn around and say, oh, by the way, doctor, did I also tell you besides shortness of breath, I get chest pain? And yeah. you say to yourself, where have I been the last 40 minutes? No. No, that's exactly right. Look, um, there is so much in that space of delivery of care. And, and I think um, aside for that administration cost of nearly 30%, which is insane, the very, the very essence of what we do is, is in the consulting room or by the bedside with sick individuals. And I think a priority around that is, or an awareness around that is critical for the best patient outcome, at least from our perspective. Uh, the administrators need to be kept account, but, uh, but we really need to be focusing on that, that connection with the patient and that opportunity for them to be aware that we're all on the same page. Yes, and we should treat the patient and not the medical record. Yeah, yeah. Which unfortunately, which unfortunately over the past 30 years has become the be all and the end all so that providers in this country can survive an audit from the third party payers. Well, look, I'm gonna take a, a little bit of a, a turn here. I did notice in your book, you've got a chapter called Convenience Care and that caught my eye. I wonder if um, you could just let the audience um, have a bit more detail about exactly what that chapter is all about and what you mean by convenience care. In that, in that chapter, I talk about a number of different things. We talk about retail medical clinics, uh, urgent care clinics, uh, telehealth, uh, and where the future of telehealth uh, will, will take us. Firstly, uh, on the retail uh, medical and urgent care clinics, I remember during my training, uh, we rather disparagingly would talk about these, which were just coming into their own as doc in the box. Oh, so you saw the local doc in the box, Mrs. Jones, and he or she told you this, and you know, very pejoratively speaking about this type of health care. And yet over the decades, work, I've come to believe these these doc in the boxes play a real role in healthcare delivery, at least at least in our country here. Um, I've used them. Uh, I've sent my aged father uh, to them. Uh, when you're waiting two, three, four days or more for an appointment with your healthcare provider, and the doc in the box is uh, readily available within an hour or less uh, for minor types of complaints, uh, they serve a need. Question is, do they reduce the cost of healthcare? Because most of them are less expensive than a trip to our emergency rooms and perhaps even less expensive than a trip 
uh, to the doctor's office now that many of them are reimbursed by, by, by third-party payers. The problem with that theory is that often patients will go to the retail medical clinic, get a prescription or whatever, and then they'll follow up with their family physician. And so that's a second charge that gets layered on to the first one. And you wonder whether we're really saving money or not, or is it just an extra layer uh, that's there for convenience, but it's going to help sink the ship as I told you, as the ship is now 18% of the GDP in the US of A, it's just not sustainable. But they do, they do play a role. Telehealth, telehealth on the other hand, telehealth, uh, I think we've seen the, the COVID epidemic really bring telehealth to the forefront. Telehealth, I think, has immense possibilities. My problem with it and I'm sure yours also as a cardiologist, is up until recently, at least, there's no laying on of hands. There's no physical exam. And while the history is of paramount importance in making a diagnosis, probably the most important thing, right behind the history, certainly far in front of the laboratory, is the physical examination. And how are you going to do a physical examination by telehealth? Now, I talk about in the books some very novel technological advances now, which are probably going to allow some limited physical examinations to be performed by low-end, if you will, low-compensated, if you will, healthcare individuals, technologists, technicians, etc., who will be able in real time to record high-quality heart sounds, breath sounds, to look at eardrums, uh, to look into throats and record video camera and send this in real time to providers on the other end, allowing them access to what previously had not been available, a good quality physical examination. There's certainly a requirement to look where possible for uh, the use of technology to help us get resources to where they're needed. And with that, to a degree, an obligation to try and keep the costs down in doing that. So certainly um, this COVID experience has been interesting for me. There's been, uh, for the first time ever in Australia, the opportunity to bill a consultation over the phone. Previously in Australia, the our Medicare, uh, which is a universal health uh, system has a, has not allowed doctors to bill for phone uh, consultations, but the advent likewise, of, here. likewise here with our Medicare. But the advent of COVID has changed that, and it's been extremely valuable. And you can also see the downsides of it. So one of the values, of course, of people who are frail with difficulties with mobility, you're able to give them a call, checking up on their cardiac failure because they've had a blood test collected by the um, pathology service who's visited their house. And you can do all that over the phone without them having to find a car park or find someone who'll bring them and so forth and so on. And you can even adjust their medications over the phone because you've because you've seen them prior and you know what you're dealing with. But for first time consultations, I think it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. And for the very reasons that you're talking about, because you, you can't 
see that person. You can't connect with them. And particularly if that first consultation is complicated in any way, whether it's Zoom or whether it's over the phone, it can go terribly wrong because, because that one-on-one -on -one Face to face allows a very different sort of engagement. So, uh, so I've had a little bit of experience in that space. You can see how it's really relevant and can be a beneficial thing for certain situations. You can also see some of the detriments, and of course, it could be abused. And I think that's what governments and payers would be concerned about. And of course, there's limited body language too. I mean, you and I are doing this conference, and I'm looking at your face. Uh, there's a large part of your body that I'm not seeing right now. And body language during an interview with a patient is very important and offers multiple clues as to what they really mean by what they say. Look, uh, we've, uh, as, as our first uh, interview, it just rolls on so quickly. Uh, we've gone over 15 minutes, believe it or not, and that's flown past. Uh, just in the interest of time, I'm going to wind this up, but I'm going to invite you back for a, a third interview, if that's okay with you, Mike, because I'm loving this conversation. I think it's really important. I'm sure our viewers will be getting a lot from it, and there's still stuff I'm very keen to speak with you about. Uh, so if it's okay with you, I'd like to invite you back for a third one. For now, I'd like to close off this podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Mike, for joining us. Thank you, Warwick, for having me. So uh, I hope you found this uh, an interesting uh, opportunity to reflect on some of the important aspects of healthcare delivery. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Michael Zima. For those listening, thank you for joining me. If you have any queries or questions, drop us a line. Till next time, look after yourself and please don't die from a heart attack. Goodbye. You've been listening to another podcast from Dr. Warwick. Visit his website at drwarwickbishop.com for the latest news on heart disease. If you love this podcast, feel free to leave us a review.